Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We're so glad that you chose to take the time out to hang out with us. I'm Nick Lindsay, and it's an honor to be your host. For those who are new, welcome. We're so excited that you join us. Here's how Reading Lens works. Each month, I have with us a guest who is also a small groups point person to share with you insights from books we are reading and what our takeaways were and how we plan to incorporate them into our lives, leadership, and our small groups. And today, do we have a great guest with us joining us from the home of Girl Scouts, the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade and bananas baseball from Savannah, Georgia, Steve Kern. Hey, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I think we need to start with, with Bananas Baseball. Talk, talk yeah. us through what, what that is for. So uh, Savannah has no pro sports and no minor league sports. And so the Savannah Bananas are a uh, college summer baseball team. Uh, they used to be called the Sam Nats and the stadium was empty and no one went. And then this guy named Jesse Cole came into town, bought the team, renamed them the bananas and, uh, figured out that it wasn't about the baseball. It was about the Mm -hmm. experience and has created this amazing experience. And now they're selling out like college kids playing baseball. Yeah, are, 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 the stadium sold out every year. Like, there's a waiting list for season tickets to this. Yeah, I was gonna it's say, amazing. I heard there's a waiting list for season tickets, which there like, is. It, that's just that's insane. Yeah, so yeah, really so, cool. I actually read a story this weekend from Mark Cuban about that same kind of concept, where apparently when he went into his basketball team, he met with the guys and he was like, "Hey guys, I want to remind you, like, we don't sell basketball." And they all looked at him like, "What? Like, what do you mean?" like no we sell experiences like you don't remember the score of the first game you went to but you remember who you were with you remember the time someone hit a game-winning three and you high-fived your your neighbor those kind of things but you don't remember that so and to bring this back to groups i think the same thing happens inside our groups where you know that first time someone shows up to group they don't remember or they remember how you made them feel but they don't remember that first sermon so it's it's always a great kind of teaching point for yeah we try to explain to our leaders with that yeah, no, it's good. Content. We're not in, we're not, churches are in, and groups are not in the content delivery business. We're in the relationship yeah. business, right? None of us remember the first study we did in our first group. We remember the relationships we had there. So, yeah. For those loyal listeners, you'll notice a trend I've have. I've met Steve at the lobby, same place I find all my guests. So that means if you ever want to be on this show, come to the lobby with me. Next one is in February. Quickly, Steve, what's your favorite part of the lobby? Well, connecting and sharing ideas with other small group people. Oh, man. And what's your real answer? <laughs> All right. So the real real answer, answer. what's the, (laughs) my real answer is I go to the lobby just so I can pretend like I'm cool enough to hang out with Nick Lindsay, Derek Olson and Jason Banzoff. That's right. I'm telling you, (laughs) lobby, you meet the best people, best people from out there. Steve is currently the East campus community pastor at Compassion Christian Church, where he has led for six years. And prior to stepping into ministry, Steve served our country for 23 years in the U.S. Navy. Uh, Steve, that is amazing. 23 years. Uh, what what positions did you hold there? Uh, uh, is position the right word? No. Sort of. Kind of like a total <laughs> civilian over here. It's all right. It's all good. <laughs> um, well, so I when I went in, I went into medicine because I wanted to jump out of the back of helicopters. 
And nice. so that didn't work out um, because I'm colorblind, but oh. uh, I got to be a surgical tech. So I got to go in the, in the operating room and assist with surgery. Did that for about eight uh, years. And then I messed up and showed some leadership ability. So they promoted me and stopped letting me do surgery anymore and started putting me in charge of sailors. And that's what I did yeah. for the rest of my time. That's impressive that, you know, your colorblindness means you can't jump out of a plane, but that you can perform surgery on people. That's right. Cause you know, it all kind of, it's all red <laughs> inside. <laughs> nice. I will say my Navy claim to fame is I had the back of my head was on CNN one time. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> That reminds me, so I have a two-year-old, and so I've watched Monster, Inc. I don't know how many times, but that movie kind of starts off with Mike, who's one of the main characters, just jumping for joy because his face is on a magazine, but it's covered by the mail label. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I made a magazine. Yeah. So, yeah. So, hey, when I when I asked to start this show, uh, I thought less about what books I wanted to cover and more about who I wanted to have on. And Steve and I always have such great conversations. So we're excited that you get to join in with us in this. So when I called him, knowing his naval background, I asked him to pick a book about the Navy that we could talk about. Um, if you're unaware, there's several leadership books about the Navy. Steve, any reason why there's so many leadership books the Navy? Well, I guess uh, if you can survive six to nine months in what we now call quarantine out in the middle <laughs> of the ocean with a bunch of 18 to 21 year olds running around, you figure maybe I know a few things about leadership, so I probably should write a book. Yeah, good point. Yeah, why don't you share with us also, like, why, what made you pick out this book? Uh, so the book's Extreme Ownership by uh, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. The reasons I really like this book was, one, it reminded me of my time in the Navy and kind of the principles of Navy leadership that translate over into the civilian world and into the church world. And it's easy for me to forget that stuff, to get wrapped up in the day-to-day and forget, hey, you've got 23 years of leadership training. That stuff can carry over. And so it was a really good reminder for me about that stuff. Plus, I listened to it on Audible, and I love this book on Audible. It's read by the authors, and so if you're not into audible books, I always recommend to people, Hey, just listen to this one on audible. It'll change your experience. Cause you've got two who hard charging warriors reading the book to you and they sound just like this. And it's awesome. You'll come out of this book. Like it's interesting. I, I almost in staff meetings where I just want to be like, we had two snipers up in the, up in the loft and we wanted to make sure that we were ready to cover and, and handle our leadership in front of us. Yeah. <laughs> so That's it awesome. was, it's, it's so much fun. Um, if, if you're, you, you don't want to do the audiobook. There's a bunch of YouTube of these two guys. Jocko's got a, a TED Talk. Um, apparently, he has a really popular uh, podcast as yeah, well. Yeah, he has but, a podcast too. You know, I know you're so busy listening to group talk, you don't have time for other ones. So, Well, I will uh, say Jocko's podcast is like three hours per episode. So, Are you serious? Yeah, he, he goes long. Holy cow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed this book much more than I thought I did. It took me a bit to get started because I just expected it to be such an in-your-face kind of book, which it which it was, to be fair. But it was kind of what I needed. And this turned out to be an excellent book. I know that as, as soon as it was done, there was some staff members and key leaders that I immediately told, like, we need to read this together. So I'm excited for them to get finished with this uh, next month so that I can talk about them. But Steve, let's start with what is extreme ownership? So the book definition, right? Extreme ownership is understanding that as a leader, you must own everything in your world. Like there's no one else to blame. You have to acknowledge your mistakes, admit your failures and take ownership for them and then develop a plan to win. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting. So I just shared about how I 
was sharing with staff members about how this was a really good book. But every time you share that like extreme ownership, it one it obviously sounds pretty intense, right? But um, is it healthy? Well, I mean, so like anything, it can be taken too far, right? You can you can go a little too extreme in your ownership, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but I think for me, like the most helpful and healthiest thing is it's just a shift in my mindset, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. taking me out of I'm a victim of circumstance. The they won't let me do this, or they are making this difficult, or I don't have money or resources or time, and going to no. Like I have the ability to influence my world and specifically around groups. Like if my group leaders are struggling or if there's lack of focus in my groups, that's on me as their leader. That's not on the individual group leaders. And so examining things kind of through that lens, I think leads to a healthy place. Yeah. I think it really ends up in a healthy place too. In that, like you really, you have room to move in this area more than you think that you do. Mm -hmm. I think that we, we, can get complacent and get tired and and look for excuses of of why things happened and i think that this really helps you of it's it's really an evaluation tool i feel like so much of this has been evaluating the past so that you can make better decisions going forward um and that's that's the ownership piece of that which was really good the first chapter was extreme ownership in that kind of introduction the second one is no bad teams only bad leaders which to us translate no bad groups only bad leaders do, do we think this is true? Uh, you know, I, I personally wrestled this with for some time. I've had a handful of bad leaders in groups and great leaders in bad groups. You know, chemistry has so much to do with a great group. But I think going through this book and looking back on those bad groups, even the ones that I've led, like I think I've led some really bad, bad, bad groups. <laughs> I had one group, I think we met for a year and we had four people, which was just like, embarrassing as the as the group's guy you know i look back and i see how principles from later on in this book would have really helped get us unstuck yeah it's interesting i 100 percent agree that there's no bad teams only bad leaders you know anytime someone says well my people won't do this or our congregation (laughs) won't do this like in my head i go well that's because you haven't led them to do that like it's not on them and so um, so if if you're talking about, well, this group's doing really well, but the leader's not good, well, that raises questions for me about, well, how do you define what a great group is? Like like the group you mentioned, right? I led it for a year and I only had four people. Well, if if growing your group and adding numbers is how you define that, then yeah, you didn't do yeah. a great job. But if like helping those people to grow spiritually and go deeper is how you evaluate your group, maybe it yep. was a great group and that's okay because everything's not about numbers. And so having clarity around what you're looking for helps you to define yeah. whether someone's a good or bad leader. Yeah. You know, what I would say about that, <laughs> you know, looking back on that specific group that had four is like the question that I, that a good leader would have asked that group is why are we uncomfortable inviting people to this group? Yeah. And then what clearly then things would come out of why this group isn't that great. And then to be able to lead where that change needs to happen in order for this to be a better group. Uh, yeah. What's funny is those like, four guys are still around. We talk about the time that we were just four for a long time. So um, that's great. But, you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head of like one of the great things of this book is like really the ownership of like having to lead. So I, I think too, so often, you know, our group leaders can kind of fall into this trap of like just managing a process and not actually taking ownership into leading them and taking 
those steps of growth. So, and then this chapter also had a fantastic principle. It's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. Uh, what's maybe one thing you've learned over the years that makes this principle true? Well, for me, the principle is recognizing that small problems don't go away if you ignore them. They just mm. fester and then turn into big problems. So for example, if a group leader just won't communicate with me. It doesn't matter how many times I email, text, phone call, like they are not going to communicate back with me. That's a problem that I need to address. Like I need to, I need to corner them on Sunday morning or whatever I need to do to go, Hey, this is the, you need, I need communication from you. Cause if they're mm. not communicating with me, the bigger problem is they're probably not communicating with their group. They're probably not communicating with people who are interested in their group. And so if I tolerate that, then that's what I get. It's, so that's where I think it's, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. We can preach communication all day, but if we tolerate people not communicating with us, then that's what you get. And that's a great example. You know, this principle also makes me think too, because I, th I think what's, what's tough about this is that we're dealing with volunteers, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're not being paid to be group leaders unless, you know, maybe you got a nice fancy church, but... Uh, we, we, we don't know our budgets are tight. We're all <laughs> listening to free podcasts, right? Um, That's right. You know, and you, you want to make excuses for them and give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, but it's, it's not always what's best for them. And you have to call them to something that if they, that they aren't understanding things, you got to figure out how to explain it better to them, explain that why better to them. A another big part of this book is, is really like those communication techniques and making sure that your front line, you know, which is, you know, our group leaders is understanding their purpose in this. So chapter three, believe, actually, I'm going to start with a quote from this, this chapter that really stood out to me that, that, that was really good. If you don't understand or believe in the decision coming down from your leadership, it's up to you to ask the questions until you understand how and why those decisions are being made. Not knowing why prohibits you from believing in the mission. When you're in a leadership position, that that's a recipe for failure and it's unacceptable as a leader. You must believe, you know, I, I have really experienced this recently. Um, in, in our church, we have a, a different program that that's coming out that, um, really is going to affect groups a lot. And I was just really unsure, like why we're doing this because, you know, we, we really want groups to be a focus point of, of our church. And I also knew this other thing that was this ministry that was being built also had some importance, but I, I wasn't behind it 100% yet. And this book really helped me to like, I had a conversation with my senior leader the other day, just asking them like, hey, why is it that we are taking the step to start this new program and a potentially affecting groups in order to do it? And getting to hear the why from him has just been so valuable at then understanding why we're doing it and the risk that we're taking because of what we're trying to accomplish. I had a similar experience. So a part of Believe is, is so that you can adopt the decision as your own decision. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you know this about yes. me. Others might know this about me. Like, I am not a fan of attendance, weekly attendance in groups. Um, yeah. if, if, You're on if, polar if, opposites, my brother. If you post this on the Facebook page, I will chime in and go, don't take attendance, right? So, um <laughs> But that's what it, you tolerate. Well, so, and here's why my why behind that was it's not worth yeah. the juice for the squeeze. Like yeah, the best I can expect is somewhere around 50%. And now I'm spending all kinds of time and energy trying to track mm -hmm. down attendance. And that's not what I want them focused on. Well, recently our 
leadership decided, no, we're going to take attendance in groups. Mm. And I had to go to leadership and go, okay, so help me understand why we're doing this. And then talk to him about, here's why I don't believe in taking attendance, but help me understand why. And we had a really good conversation about, well, if we don't know who's there, how do we know who to mm-hmm. minister to? And how do we know who's missing? And it helps like all of those things that are good about attendance. So we're taking attendance and I support it because like it was my decision, because I can adopt their why. you know. And so I think that ties into actually to the next chapter of check your ego, right? So check your mm, ego yeah. is, hey, you need to either accept the decision once you understand the why, or you don't need to be leading, right? So if you can't mm-hmm. get on board with the decisions your leadership is making, well, you need to check your ego and see if maybe it's just your feelings are getting hurt because your idea isn't the one that uh, is being used and recognize that it's more important for the best idea to, to be put into place than it is for you to get the credit or for it to be your idea. That's excellent. The next section of this book is four chapters and it's around the laws of combat. Chapters are cover and move, simple, prioritize and execute a decentralized command. As you can tell, very military themes throughout this book. And I thought this section of the book is the thing that really started to click for me and things sort of take off. First was cover and move. And so this is a military term where you're able to fire on your enemy so that your your teammate can move back in, in safety. Uh, and then you can do the same for them and explains how to use this, you know, inside your workplace in that like, one of the worst things that we can do inside, you know, our churches and our businesses is that we can start siloing. So, Steve, have you experienced this at all, where your your church starts to silo their uh, ministries, and and you know, or is there a way where like groups was able to break beyond just their own to help out another area? Yeah, yeah. So, well, one, we're multi-site, and so mm. there is definitely um, some not necessarily healthy competition among campuses. Um, uh, so that's that's part of it. But the other part of it is, is so when I first came on staff here, we had groups ministry, men's win- ministry, and women's ministry. And like all three of those are concerned about discipling adults. And so we are constantly fighting for leaders, fighting for resources, fighting for stage time, all those kind of things using cover and move was a way for me to go, Hey, how can I help you be successful? Because I care about discipling men. How can I help you be successful? I care about discipling women rather than fighting against you because I want to call it a group and you want to call it a women's Bible study. Like Mm. it's the same thing. It helped us get to the place where we recognize like if the women's Bible study is successful, but a women's small group is not successful, that's not a win for either of them. And we eventually got to the place where we wound up merging departments all under the discipleship umbrella so that we can pursue um, helping one another be successful. And it's not gender specific. Yeah, there's probably something in there, too, about, you know, having that common goal, which then allows that alignment to happen. And I I think that comes through in this book, too, because, you know, it's interesting, like there's the five branches of the military. And again, this might just be dumb civilian Nick over here, but like they have to work with different branches of the military mm-hmm. and you know uh, i'm sure you know each one has different approaches or different disciplines that conflict with the others but this naval seal unit uh, seal team was able to be successful because they took the time to communicate well with the other units um even as much as you know they were talking about one of the things too in that 
how this then affected their discipline because the Navy SEALs have like less restrictions on their kind of how they, you know, wear their hair and their their facial hair and things like that. But because they were going to be working with the army, they wanted to have a more clean face so that they would have that same respect from other areas. So yeah, um, there's there's good natured ribbing between the Navy and the Army, but we're all on yeah, the same team at the end of the day. Exactly. I, I actually think that principle and that idea, as hard as this is to hear, is something mm-hmm. the church really needs to learn. Like yes. the church across the street oh, is excellent. not on the other team. We're all on the same team. We're yeah. all trying to win lost people and help each other. And yes. so, yeah. Yeah. And the best place to experience <clears throat> that too is in a, in a small group network mm-hmm. huddle. Like, yes. Those walls get broken down so quickly, uh, which is just so great to, to be a part of. The next chapter is simple, and it just might, in my opinion, was the most important chapter of the book. You know, I've been at conferences and, and huddles and heard you guys try to explain your model to me, and it just isn't a word simple that I would just always use to describe. So, Steve, what's something that you had to stop to make it more simple for your group leaders or members? So, for us, one of the things where this really applied was in was in leadership training and leadership development. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the idea of, so Tim Ferriss calls it the minimum effective dose. Like, what is the bare huh. minimum that they need to know? So, when we initially have leadership development training, right? It's, oh, they need to come for four weeks, three hours, you know, over those four weeks. And there's, we want to basically send them through mini, mini seminary. But simple means we need to edit, we need to edit, we need to edit. We, if, it, if it's yeah. not necessary, cut it. Even if it's a great story, even if it's, the, you know, a great principle, even if it's really something nice to know, cut it. Because... The more you have, the more complex it is. The more complex it is, the more difficult it is to implement. Yeah. And, you know, one book that really covers this well is Creating Community by Bill Willits. Mm-hmm. This is this is where I kind of learned that principle. I've read that book and it, it kind of made me rethink all of my training and how I do continued training in addition to that. Uh, but what Bill tries to teach, which is very similar to this principle, but it's like that initial training needs to be what do they need to know to get started? Like they don't need to know all this nice to know stuff. Like you can build that in later and things like that. But what is the need to know? And then your continued training is those leadership essentials. What are the things that they're going to come up over and over and over again that they're going to need that that's essential? And, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm a North Point partner church and I feel like every time we check in on leadership development stuff, you know, they're again, working to make things simple, simple, simple. So their leadership essentials were eight, and now they're down to four, uh, which may be surprising to you guys. But uh, GroupLeader.org has has that new breakdown. But yeah, uh, North Point does a really good job of simple. Yeah. Like if you follow North Point at all, there's probably phrases that you can pull out. Circles yeah. are better than rows, right? And and like that's just keeping mm-hmm. it simple, which makes it adoptable, which means you can own it as your own mission. Yeah. And by the way. Bill Willits has forgotten more about groups than most of us will ever know. So anything <laughs> written by Bill Willits, you should read. Yes. Yeah. I, I think, you know, another church that does simple really well. And, you know, sometimes simple is also just making sure it's memorable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Saddleback does a killer job of this. I know we, we like to poke fun at the acrostics and things like that, but <laughs> there's a reason why we can remember Space Pets and all these other different ones that they yeah, have. They're, so. Yeah, they're 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 baseball diamond, and this yeah. is what first base, second base, third base. It's a great simple way of explaining something that yeah. can be really complex. 
Yeah, and personally, this this then applies like you know I was meeting with my associate director yesterday, and I was talking about like so we've had the same model for uh, about four or five years, and it it to us makes complete sense. We love it. It's really helping with spiritual growth and building and developing relationships. But I don't know that our group leaders could sit at a table on a napkin and do that teaching an apprentice that model like with simplicity. And that's, that's what really needs to drive us in this. Um, so it's not that we need to make major adjustments. It's that like, are we using simple language? Mm-hmm. Is it things that they understand? I realize, like, you know, as we, we get on staff, we get really excited about some of these theological terms. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, what's the simple word that everyone's going to understand and be able to communicate? So, Absolutely. Cool. Next chapter is prioritize and execute is a thought process. So prioritize and execute is a thought process that Navy SEALs use to stay calm under pressure. To an extent, a lot of us just did this this past March with COVID. And I think groups may have succeeded at this better than other ministries because we were able to keep the main thing, the main thing. Like community had to keep happening. Whereas I know the kids ministries like really struggled because that, you know, being reliant on that Sunday location, um, which is really helping people, you know, belong in community and and grow spiritually. Um, Anything that you would add to prioritize and communicate? So uh, the only thing I would add is don't take this one to the extreme, right? Yeah. So for example, we've got some holes in our coaching structure that I'm working to fill, but that doesn't mean, and that's like the top priority right now. I need to get some coaches in place. That doesn't mean that I, I can't worry about connecting people into groups because mm. that's not my top priority, right? Those yeah. things still need to happen. So yeah, that's what I would say is it's it's a helpful process to work through and it works really well in combat because you only need to worry about one thing in combat but staying alive (laughs) in 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 most other scenarios like there's a balance um yeah yeah i think for me where i struggle with this is that i get so excited about new projects and learning (laughs) new things that as soon as i get you know see a smidgen of potential on on another project i'll leave behind the last one and so like if you look behind me there's just a litter of failed projects that i didn't execute on it's kind of like that dog and up the squirrel thing like yep so yeah you're a good starter you need a finisher to come behind you and take over yes exactly that's a yeah great way to put that so and then the last chapter in that section is decentralized command which is uh empowering others to accomplish the mission this is one that we preach to our group leaders all the time that you know they really need to distribute this responsibility and you know one of the things i think we we talked about and the podcast with with Matt Page, but I don't know that we're as great doing that with ourselves, especially like on staffs at giving away responsibility. Do you see that too? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think... And why do you think causes that? Because well, one, I think decentralized command is scary, yeah. right? So it takes a lot of trust to be like, okay, not only do you have the responsibility for this decision, but you have the authority to make this decision without checking with me, right? And And that's that's tough for a lot of people to be okay with. Um, one, because of fear, I think, well, what if they make the wrong decision? And and even though they're responsible for it, I'm also still accountable for what's going to happen. The other part of it is, I think, uh, we all want to be needed, right? We mm. all want to, it, and so if we hold the authority, right, so I still have to sign off on it, or you still have to call me before you do this, then I'm still important and you still need me. And that, right, that goes back to checking your ego. Like, like, why do you need to be the one to sign off on this? Um, if you, if someone can do it 70% as good as you can, 
you need to hand mm-hmm. that off, especially yeah. if that person's a volunteer. Like yeah. coaches are a great example of this. So um, why not turn over your leader training to your coaches? You don't have to do leader training. They can yeah, probably a- do it better than you in some <laughs> cases. So hand that off and just, it, but that takes a lot of trust and, and courage to do that. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is like, I think, I think late night shows kind of get this a lot too, where like they have writing staffs. Like it's mm-hmm. not Stephen Colbert writing every single joke up there. Like there's people who special, and I guarantee if we drill down into those staffs, there's people who specialize in different areas of, all right, I, I'm going to handle this type of content and you're going to handle that. And why not bring that into our leadership training too, where it's like, okay, I might be able to be really good at reading, leading content, but man, this other person is a really good radio host or something like that, that can, yep. that can communicate my ideas better than, than, than I can on stage. So absolutely. For me, it would be the other way around, right? I can talk, but I need someone to write really good content for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So one of the other things that they had with decentralized command that was really helpful too, is that eventually we all get to a point where we're leading too many people. And that being one of a, a huge reason why we need to decentralize command so that you don't have so many people reporting to you. This one quote just really jumped out to me. It says, human beings are generally not capable of managing more than six to 10 people. You know, we start all of our coaches at five leaders and ask them to grow to 10. But, you know, after reading this, I think I need to watch more closely at who 10 might be too much for that they, you know, might not be able to handle that. Because I think one of the other things that's interesting is that like, especially with coaches is that they tend to not just coach the people that you assign them to. And then they end up with so much. And it's really hard to go into the coaches meeting and be like, Hey, uh, you can coach people, but like, please stop coaching Tommy. Like, you know, he's, (laughs) he's not in groups. You shouldn't be like pouring into him. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a, you know, like the law of diminishing returns at some point you stop becoming effective uh, right. So this is this is the the way the Navy does things, right? So if you show potential and you're doing really well, they just keep giving you more and more responsibility until you're no longer effective, and then they then they then they then you start getting in trouble, right? So yeah, um, I feel like churches do that too, right? We'll just keep giving you more and more until you oh, can't totally. handle it anymore, and then then we'll talk to you about how you're not doing a good job. Yeah, and then I think like even on staff, like you know, I started to realize how ineffective I was getting as like our group's director. And it was because I was holding on to way too much. And I had to step back and evaluate, okay, what are all the things that I do? And then really think of like, okay, what could that role look like? And what's funny is like, this is a concept from the book E-Myth by uh, Michael Gerber, which is going to be a future book, definitely, because it's one of my top five books on that. But he really talks about like, make an org chart of the next five years and then put your name in everything that you do. And what's funny is, is that like all of those responsibilities inside what I thought a group director did, like never left that bubble. Right. And so like I'm breaking it out of like, okay, I write content each week. I lead my, the men's area, the women's area, the married area. Right. Oh, there's those leaders there. I throw events. Like there's another person like, and then finding people, finding volunteers. So this past year I've found six volunteers that, help me lead. And now I have a core team and it's incredible what's being accomplished by decentralizing that command and getting it out and getting it, getting it away from me. So yeah, that's good. I think, I think one still of the just con- as busy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Never. You, you, you don't, your plate never actually gets less full. It's just full of different <laughs> things. I, I think, uh, one of the 
concepts that's important under decentralized command is that it's all built on trust, mm-hmm. right? Which means like the person you're turning content over, the person you're turning men's, women's married over to have to trust that you have their six, that you have their back, right? In civilian speak, it's back. In Navy speak, it's your six, right? <laughs> so um, even if they're wrong, so even if they produce some content and you're like, whoa, that's really for me it would be like whoa that's really blunt and harsh and the way you're communicating that is (laughs) if someone comes to complain to you i've got to trust that you've got my back um, because that gives me the freedom to then own it to to exercise extreme ownership and take that off of your plate if you don't show me that trust then i one won't feel comfortable taking ownership for it and you're still the owner you're still responsible for it and that 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 breaks down the whole decentralized command concept wow that was that was really good steve if if you're driving in the car and you were distracted like i'm gonna ask you to rewind to go here that that over again okay let's move on next section part three sustaining victory um have to have to <laughs> do my leaf impression every once in a while nice. on here so the the first one in this is plan uh and, and they spent a lot of time talking about the importance of debriefs uh, i didn't realize how much of the military is like having to write what ha- What are you going to do and what happened? And this chapter, this, this section really gets into that a lot. And, uh, but let's, let's break down debriefs. Do you, do you use debriefs for your events, your training or anything? Like when would you, yep. would you use a debrief? So, uh, we debrief everything. People get annoyed with me by, because I want to evaluate everything. I'm like, well, if you're getting up to give a talk, you better be giving an evaluation yeah. sheet to the people who are sitting in the audience so that you can get better. Yeah. Um, by reviewing that debrief. So the Navy, we call it lessons learned. One of the requirements before you go on a de- deployment is to read the lessons learned from the last ship that was in that area and the oh, wow. things that they learned from being there. And so it's just a way of learning and paying attention to things that other people have done before. And that's really, I truly believe it's the only way you get better. So when we plan, part of the planning process is reviewing what happened last time and going through, we yep. use a we use a system, right? So it's keep, change, um, add, or kill. What do we want to keep doing? And keep doing it exactly the way we did it. It went really well. We want to keep doing that. What do we want to change, right? We, we don't want to get rid of this, but we want to you know, change the way we do it. What do we need to add to this that might make it better? Maybe how I'm communicating or maybe uh, how the event was marketed, what, all those type of things. And then what needs to be killed? What do we need to you mm-hmm. know, not ever do again because it just didn't add any value to whatever it was. Yeah. No, we, we have found this extremely valuable as well. And, and I try to bring it in as much as possible. I try to do it after we do our trainings, after campaigns. If you do a, a church-wide campaign, so valuable. Because you were just talking about, like, read the last ship that went out. Our mm-hmm. church-wide campaign is our ships, right? Absolutely. Um, and so there's things that we can learn how to do them better each time. Um, I actually learned this really well through, we have a core team on the small group network. Um, that Steve and I uh, are a part of it. And, you know, each year we get together and review the last year of how the small group network went. Uh, they use these questions. I really like them, but it's what's right. And the answers to those, like we want to amplify what's right. What's wrong. Those are the things that we want to fix. What's confusing. The things that we need to clarify on and, and get better communication. And then what's missing. So what are the things we need to add um, that, that has been really helpful. 
The next chapter is another one of those really important ones. Um, again, here I am saying that after every single chapter, <laughs> but uh, leading up and down the chain of command, uh, Steve, I, I, you know, I would love if you start this one off and and share what was in this chapter that that's been helpful. Yeah, one of the things you have to figure out in the military is that you're probably not going to be the admiral. Right. You're, yeah. you're, you're probably not. Um, <laughs> and so, and even if you are, you still have a boss. So it's figuring out, all right, well, so if I'm not the top leader, does that mean that I'm not a leader? No, it doesn't mean you're not a leader. Yeah. You still have influence and you can still change your sphere of influence and affect people outside of your influence. And so the way that you do that is through your attitude, mm. right? So attitude is contagious. If you're calm in a crisis, everybody around you will be calm. If you're losing your head in a crisis, everybody around you will start losing their head. And so uh, I'll give you an example. So recently we went through a staffing transition about a year and a half ago. Um, and I was asked to shift from a central role to a campus role. And so if you were to look on the org chart, it would be considered a demotion. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I always like to say, and I was told this wasn't because of my job performance. It really was. <laughs> I mean, it was. It, it really was. I was just a casualty. We we significantly shifted the way we were doing things, and it really reduced down our staffing yeah. needs, and and people were left without a position. And so it was just. Mm-hmm. It was a major shuffle. I prayed about that, and and really felt like Jesus was asking me to stay at the church. Now, um, don't think that I'm some super holy, humble guy. There were definitely multiple days that. Uh, I was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm searching. I might have even called Steve Gladen and said, hey, what kind of jobs you got for me? <laughs> However, I um, hasn't called Steve and asked him that question. That's right. After <laughs> uh, after praying about it a lot, um, I just knew that Jesus wanted me to stay here. And mm. the fact that I stayed here and the and the attitude that I had about it has been contagious, right? It's, it's and like my commitment here is to help the folks who took the role that I had to succeed, right? I'm not trying to sabotage them. We're all on the same team at the end of the day. And and so the way I responded to that has given me the ability to talk with senior leaders about, um, are you addicted to numbers? What if God's role for your church is not to always be up and to the right? And and, and what does it look like if Jesus moves you into a, a position that's lower on the org chart and, and how do you process through that? And so that's what I think like leading up and down is all about the attitude you maintain and how you, pro- you, sh- you project that to others. That allows you to gain influence, which allows you to lead up and lead down. And it has nothing to do with your position. I don't know yeah. if that really answers the question you asked me, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one I want to cover and talk about too, that, that, was super helpful for me was how do we how do we lead down right which is a lot of what we do right but this just provided a lot of clarity let me read this quote says rather than blame them for not seeing the strategic picture you must figure out a way to better communicate it to them in terms that are simple clear and concise so that they understand this is what leading down the chain of command is all about so i I'll share here a little bit of, you know, some of the terms that they used here is things that uh, are learning points throughout the book. But, you know, leading down so much of it is like, do your people understand why it is the things that they are they are doing? And when you, you see those errors being made, you know, what are the things that you're able to do that are able to help out that situation that, that can help clarify and make things make things better for them? Um, and I, that, that was super helpful for me. 
Um, because I think it's really simple to go in and just be like, I don't understand why they wouldn't think this way or whatever. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like we put a lot of assumptions on onto what they they think with that. Oh, well, I, I think that's the difference between leading and managing, right? So managing yeah. is giving them a task to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Leading is teaching them how you think so that they can then start thinking that way, right? Understanding the why behind it. This is why Nick's making this choice. So now I understand how to make that choice for myself. Yeah. And then, you know, on the leading up, you know, <laughs> this one was a, a punch in the gut for me. But uh, you know, let me read you this quote. It says, if your boss isn't making a decision in a timely manner or providing necessary support for you and your team, don't blame the boss. First, blame yourself. Examine what you can do better to convey the critical information for decisions to be made and support allocated. You know, you read those those first two sentences that your boss isn't making a timely decision, and who doesn't have that boss? What who like who does that not describe in the church world of senior leadership? But the biggest reason that they're not making that timely decision is because they don't have all the facts ahead of them, right? Also, we have the benefit in that at least our leaders, hopefully pray about the decisions that are being made that, that are going into this. But, you know, they were talking about this specifically in that they were really upset at the reports that they have to do. It's almost like a flashback a little bit to the the attendance thing that, that you had. You know, are you able to help communicate what's going on at your level so that they can see that? Like they need to stay at the level that they're at and see the bigger picture because if they get down into the weeds, like it really isn't going to help them do what they have to do and own. Yeah. So there's a couple examples of this, but one, I th- we would all agree that if your senior pastor is constantly talking about groups, that is the best thing in the world, right? Well, one of the ways to do that is you need to support your senior pastor so that he's able yeah. to talk or she's able to talk about groups, right? So rather than going, well, my senior pastor never talks about <laughs> groups. My senior pastor hates groups, right? Yes. You, you've got to examine and go, all right, how can I send them stories that mm-hmm. support groups and support what they're talking about? If your sermon series is planned out and it's, let's just pick, oh, I don't know, about finances, because everyone loves talking <laughs> about finances in church. If your sermon series is about finances, then if you've got a story of a group that pulled their resources together to cover childcare for a single mom so that she could attend their group, that's a great story to talk about stewardship. Yeah. And it's our responsibility to get that to our senior pastor so that they can then talk about groups. If you're not doing the work to get them those things, then you can't blame them for not talking about groups. That's on you. It's not on them. That's what that whole thing is about. Yeah. Next chapter is decisiveness amid uncertainty. Uh, I feel like uncertainty is that that's the 2020 word of the year, right? In Inside of churches. <laughs> unprecedented. Unprecedented. Unprecedented time. <laughs> uncertainty that we are facing and all serious one concept that was taught is that uh seal teams should default to being aggressive and proactive rather than reactive sorry these quotes make me like read them really aggressive uh just from listening uh, even goes so far to say that it was critical to the success of the team how do you see this playing out with inside small groups so i i think the the principle is that course correction is easier than starting Ooh. Right, so it's it's always easier. That was yeah. Good. yeah, so it's so it's a lot easier to correct your course than it is to start. Yes. Um, so, f- for example, like it takes a ton of energy and work and stuff to launch a fighter jet off of a carrier, but it doesn't take that much work to turn it once it's in the air. That's um, true. 
And so I just, you know, zero to 600 miles an hour in less yeah. than six seconds is awesome. But I think for, to, to give an example to us, like this, this, you might not be prepared for everything that's going to hit you. Like, mm-hmm. like all of us are experiencing, I'm looking at you, COVID-19, we were not prepared. <laughs> um, but uh, people in churches who were already aggressively planning for that online space or already pursuing that online space were able to adjust much easier than those wow. who had to start from scratch who had to, you know, try and try and uh, uh, spin up something from nothing. And so, even in groups, groups that were already proactive in communication were already Facebook friends or had text chains or those type of things. Yeah. It was a lot easier for them to stay connected because all they had to do was adjust their course than it was to try and start all that stuff um, in the midst of unprecedented times. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here impressed because <laughs> what's what's interesting is so through March and April, you know, a lot of friends reaching out, hey, how things are going. For us, it was a pretty smooth transition. The way I described it to them, it was as if we were changing lanes on a highway. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's because we had that online system kind of stuff. We're a young church and so you know, a lot of these things were, were pretty natural and easy to us. And I really sympathize with a lot of churches that have older congregations and having to lead 400 Zoom training sessions. Like, but um, that's a great example of that. Like the course corrections easier than starting. Like if I, if I would have had to start online groups and I would have had to start, you know, online church and these things, it would have been much more difficult to, to do that. So, and then, yeah, last chapter here, discipline equals freedom. Um, I've <laughs> What a way to end a book because like, you know, I think you expect that from what do you think of military discipline? You think of freedom, right? Those two, two (laughs) things, but discipline equals freedom is like, what, what's going on here? So, you know, what would you say about that, Steve? Uh, I would say I fail at this all the time. (laughs) So uh, the idea is that if you maintain discipline, then you, then you get better results, right? You have, you have the freedom to do what you want to do. So yeah. uh, Jocko talks about if, if you want time to, to yourself, then you need to make the time by getting up early, by having the discipline to get up early. Um, for me, it always shows up in meetings, right? I let my passion get the better of me. And then I always feel crappy afterwards and have to go and apologize to people. And if I would just have the discipline to, uh, not let my passion control me. It's okay to it's okay to be uh, interested in a topic without letting my passion control me. Uh, I I would be much more free. Uh, I've I've got a buddy who, um, just as an, as an illustration of how there's freedom and discipline. So he has a discipline where he never goes over the speed limit. Like he sets his oh. cruise control at whatever the no. speed limit is. And so, um, but he will tell you. Um, like it brings him freedom because he never has to worry about where the hidden police officers are or, yeah. Oh, a cop just pulled up behind me. He can wave and be like, have a nice day because he knows he's going the speed limit. So that discipline yeah. gives him the freedom to enjoy that. Being from but, New Jersey, that's just, this, <laughs> this, it's make this, this example makes me uncomfortable. Speed limits <laughs> for the right lane. Get all the way over there. We, we have this thing in New Jersey. It's like this meme that gets passed around every couple of years. It's just that like, if we all go 90, they can't stop us all. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, no, that's a great example of like that freedom. And, you know, this is an easy concept for us to understand spiritually that, that, you know, those, those things that, that God is asking of us isn't there to restrict us. It's to bring us freedom. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, that was, that was really good. So, hey, Steve, I, you know, I just want to thank you so much for, for being here today and, you know, taking us on this naval adventure that, that we got to go through. We're going to have to have you back for another naval book. Absolutely. Uh, Who are, Navy? <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, I'm Nick Lindsay, and I want to thank you for listening with us today. Thanks, Steve, for sharing your experiences, your thoughts, and especially serving this country. Reading Lens will be back next month with Kirsten Tilzerow from National Community Church, or NCC, in Washington, D.C. Uh, Kirsten's fantastic. Steve, you ever interact with Kirsten? Yeah, Kirsten is amazing. In fact, you were talking about our uh, small group core team, and oh, Kirsten yeah. actually led our strategic planning and going through those four things oh. last year, and she was amazing. Uh, yes. I am looking forward to that podcast next week. I'm sure we'll learn a ton from her. Yes. Uh, and we're so we're going to do the book Canoeing the Mountain by Todd. I noticed he only has one D, Todd. So, Olzinger. So, if you want to read along with us, you can get a head start. Steve, have you ever been canoeing? Uh, I've been whitewater rafting. I've not been canoeing. Okay, that sounds cooler than canoeing. Well, so. I mean, yes and no. I have a scar on my leg because at one point I went down the rapids without my raft. And uh, <laughs> and there's rocks under Like, rocks is what yeah. causes rapids. So, uh no, it, no it whitewater a, rafting in the Navy, huh? Uh, no, no whitewater rafting in the <laughs> Navy. <laughs> yeah, so we hope that you join us for that. And, uh, you know, as we sign off, as always, remember, leaders are readers. Take care, everyone. Hey, Small Group Network family, Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk producer and Small Group Network creative arts director. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reading Lens, and thank you so much to Nick and Steve for that great episode. Steve Curran is a great guy, and what a great guy to have on the show, so good job, Nick, getting him on. Now, before we go, let's talk about some events. The Small Group Network is storming out of COVID-19 with a slew of new strategic small group conferences slated for 2021. Locations include Houston, Portland, Las Vegas, Nashville, Denver, SoCal, New England, Ohio, Atlanta, and Virginia. You still have time to lock in the super early bird or early bird price on many of these events. Accelerate the health and growth of your small group ministry by attending one of our events in 2021. Just visit smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events to lock in these great savings today. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events. And thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.